The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Wednesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today, we're going to talk about the paddle. Not in the context of a canoe. We're talking about the paddle in school for disciplinary purposes. Seems like ancient history and hard to imagine that it would happen in this day and age, but it is happening in a school in the state of Georgia. A school there is bringing back the paddle, and a lot of the parents are on board. We're also going to talk about the Ogo Pogo. A man in B.C. has footage that he thinks is the Ogo Pogo. Do you believe in mythical creatures or other legends like that? We're also going to speak with Reggie Giacchini. Global's Reggie Giacchini is in North Carolina getting ready for the onset of Hurricane Florence, what looks to be a historic storm. Kelly Moore joins us to remember Ab McDonald. Celebration of Life was on Tuesday, and we'll talk about the celebration and celebrate the legendary life of Winnipeg hockey star Ab McDonald. And Brittany Greenslade from Global News joins us as well as the Humboldt Broncos get ready for their home opener in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Brittany Greenslade went out to Humboldt after the tragedy that killed 16 people, that tragic, horrific crash. And it was a story that changed Brittany's life, and she'll tell us a little bit about that in today's podcast. It's a paddling. Looking out the window. That's a paddling. Staring at my sandals. That's a paddling. Paddling the school canoe. Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. Mackling McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Classic clip from The Simpsons. And Greg, what prompted you to pull that out? <laughs> well, I uh, felt like it was in a time machine when I was listening and reading this story, To Paddle or Not to Paddle. And uh, a school in, is it Hefzibah? Hefzibah? Hefzibah. Hefzibah, Georgia. That sounds right, yeah. And we're talking Georgia, USA, not Georgia. Like the country that used to be part of the Soviet Union is bringing back an old form of punishment And the reason might surprise you. Public schools in the area have not done it for years, but a local charter school is bringing back the paddle. uh, GSIC, the Georgia School for Innovation and Classics, sent home a letter, uh, letter this week asking parents for permission. A reporter from WRDW TV in Augusta, Georgia, Leah Fernandez, went to the school to find out more about the new corporal Policy. They sent this consent to paddle form home this week for parents to either say yes or no to this form of punishment. The superintendent told me they've gotten back a little over a hundred forms, and almost a third of them give consent. But the majority of those parents are saying no way. In this school, we take discipline very seriously. GSIC is going old school with a new policy for this year. There was a time where corporal punishment was kind of the norm in school, and you didn't have the problems that you have. You heard that right. The K through nine charter school is bringing back paddling students as a form of discipline. It's just one more 
uh, tool that we have in our disciplinary toolbox. Parents got a consent to paddle form, asking them if they're okay with administrators hitting their child with a wooden paddle. There's no obligation. It is not, uh, it's not required. So a parent can either give consent uh, for us to use that as a disciplinary measure, or they can deny consent. The form spells it out. The students will be taken into an office behind closed doors. The student will place their hands on their knees or piece of furniture and will be struck on the buttocks with a paddle. The form says no more than three licks should be given. Oh, Superintendent Bolano says the parent response has been across the board. Great, it's about time. We're so glad that this is happening again. They should have never taken back schools all the way to, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're doing that. A controversial policy that hasn't been around for years. If parents opt out of paddling, they have to agree to up to five days of suspension. Honestly, we've, we feel that it's something that um, that's not going to be used very often. Sometimes it's just kind of the 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 threat of it being there becomes a deterrent in itself. This is actually still legal in Georgia and 19 other states, but it's rare for a school to have a policy for it. GSIC is the only school in our area that will start paddling students who are misbehaving this year. And Leah, even if parents agree to the paddling, they do get a heads up before it happens, right? says they will use three-strike policy, so the paddling doesn't happen on the first or even the second offense. That is Leah Fernandez in WRDW-TV in Augusta. She went to Hepzibah, Georgia, where they are bringing back this old form of punishment. Hepzibah, that sounds like something you'd catch after a long night of partying in like Puerto Vallarta It's or interesting. The form that they sent out to the parents says no more than three licks would be given. So when you're using language like three licks, which I haven't, I don't even know if I heard that when I was a kid, it does actually, to your point, Greg, feel like you're moving back in time. Yeah, you can opt out of it. Your kid doesn't have to get the power. They can have the suspension and all the rest. But I can't believe that there's someone somewhere that said, let's send out a form and see if we feel parents are okay if we hit their children. One third of the parents saying, yeah, I'm okay with it. And the the principal, I guess, said sometimes it's just the threat of it being an option. I know when my dad would do the old, oh, it's time to talk to Albert. He'd just have to undo his belt just a little bit and we would all simmer down. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's always, that tends to be the response. Uh, some of the response we get from our listeners on this is, I got beat or smacked around or whatever. Beat? I didn't. Some people say, yeah, my parents would beat me and I'm fine now. And I I got spanked as a kid and the threat did keep me in line. But uh, the point was made on the shift with Drex overnight that the only people that we seem to be okay with being struck in society are children who need to be disciplined. Like if I pulled out a paddle and walked up to you, McNabb, and spanked you. Right, to be assault. Yeah. And if you did that to an animal, it would be animal abuse. If it's in your own home, you can still spank your children. That is allowed. But but having a teacher or someone else do that to your kid, I feel like we the whole point was to move away from that. When I was in elementary school for a very few years, and I never even know if this was true, there was the strap. And if you got sent to the principal's office, you would get the strap. I don't know if that was just the rumor that was going around to keep us all in line, but but there are other we've learned that that didn't do anything that doesn't deter people. That it, it, what we know is because we weren't given other options. It wasn't like okay now you get you get taken away or you can't go on the class field trip or you're gonna you don't get to go out and play in the playground for the next three days because you're misbehaving. Those are the things that work or are supposed to work 
to deter bad behavior, not hitting them. No, and we've also learned that you can cause irreparable damage to your kids when you give them a whack. Yeah. yeah, and to clarify, and Don sent a text here saying big difference between a spanking and a beating. I just want to make sure that I'm that it's clear that I wasn't endorsing it. I was just saying sometimes whenever we have this discussion, our listeners will weigh in, and I've had feedback like that where people would say, well, my parents used to beat me around a little bit when I was a kid, and, uh, you know, it just kept me disciplined. Not saying it's right, just sharing the feedback we've had and, in the past. And that, Brett, was what some people were saying in Georgia and the United States. Some of the parents wrote back and said, it's about time, we need to move back to that because the kids aren't listening, there's all these problems in schools these days, this is why we think we should bring back this form of corporal punishment. They're also not talking about taking a fist to a kid, it'd be a paddling, which would be like when we were younger, the spanking or what have you. And yeah. there's still people today that spank in their own homes. Again, that's what you're choosing to do with your child versus an authoritarian figure. Well, here's one for you. If you're a kid and you have the option of getting the paddle or being suspended for five days, which would you take? Oh, boy. Good question. Five days off of school would be kind of nice. Oh, not in my house. If you got, if anyone ever got a suspension, you were up at 5 a.m. working on the farm. Like, there was no... This was something that were, actually happened? Not to me. Per se, but if there were <laughs> per se, actually no, it was I, I had a sibling once that if you if you got in trouble at school, there was you came home and it wasn't five days off or three days off or no. whatever it was you went to work and so the, if in my family the option I would have taken the paddling probably. yeah quite quite often the discipline that the school would hand out would be nothing compared to what you get at home right in terms of a punishment yeah I, I never was suspended either I, I took enough. Self-imposed days off in school, so I didn't need to get suspended. <laughs> self-imposed. That's a very nice way of saying it. I have a self-imposed spare, Mr. Hatcher. <laughs> it was always kind of frightening. J.J. Hatcher was our vice principal at Daniel Mack, and I'll never forget the day. Very, very quiet hallway. I was the only one at my locker, and J.J. sauntered over, and he looked at me and he goes, Mr. Mackling. Where aren't you supposed to be somewhere else right now? No, Mr. Hatcher, I've got a spare right now. I think you've got geography right now with Mr. Schreier, Mr. Mackling. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm on my way to see Mr. Schreier <laughs> in geography right now. <laughs> this is the problem. This is the issue, though. I mean, again, I'm not. Con- I don't condone uh, paddling the kids or strapping them or whatever the choice might. The ruler on the hands. But if you're suspending somebody who's chronically in trouble, or you're just sending them to a classroom for detention. They're, they're, they're just not they're, now they're not in class and is that's not hard on them no, I, no. and you know what clearly there's a bigger conversation to be had surrounding how you discipline and help kids that don't like school that don't participate that don't enjoy school um suspensions uh, yeah they're they're a slippery slope for sure is it so the, in georgia yeah it's still legal to do this in schools it's, 19 it's just other that states most schools don't right so in Canada, it's against the law now to do that in schools. That's a good question. I'm going to look into that. Oh, I thought you were you telling me, asking me. No, I'm I'm asking you. I mean, yeah, I, know, I, know. I know you're not allowed to, you are still allowed to spank your children in your own home, but mm-hmm. there's different, they always give out lists of what, you know, what would be deemed abusive versus. Yeah, I can't imagine it being something they, they can do in school. Well, it's something they stop doing. My question is. Is it actually legally mandated that you cannot do that? Is it illegal to do it in school? Good question. Yeah. Spencer weighing in here saying John Defoe Elementary on Grant, 1984, hands flat on the principal's desk and a smack with a ruler. Terrifying. 
Spencer, thank you for sharing that terrifying memory with us. We appreciate the feedback. You can weigh in. Text us, 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com, gmac, <coughs> excuse me, gmac at cjob.com, or McNabb at cjob.com. And just one quick note, I've just found that in 2004, the Supreme Court of Canada outlawed corporal punishment in all schools, public or private, which Good. is 2004. That's not so long ago. That's this century. Well, the story out of Georgia feels like it's the last century for sure. I feel like McNabb is uh, trying to take away my Google Foo title here. <laughs> Are we going to have to have a Google Foo throwdown? It's because when I first started, I had no computer. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a computer in front of me. Let's use Only this. Only there was a tool with which we could look these things up. And well, I don't want to float something fashion. and then have people wonder. Well, that, is a, that is a good question. There's your answer. You cannot do it in schools in Canada. I'm going to play a clip here to help set this up. I think Bigfoot is blurry. That's the problem. <laughs> it's not the photographer's fault. Bigfoot is blurry. And that's extra scary to me. Because there's a large, out-of-focus monster roaming the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh. Jeff Braun, who's that? Mitch Hedberg, the late, great uh, comedian oh, Mitch Hedberg. One of the best. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. And why, Greg, are we talking about Bigfoot? Well, there's a gentleman in Kelowna, West Kelowna to be specific. David Halbauer is his name. And uh, he's got film that uh, would indicate something kind of creepy in the waters of Okanagan Lake. Come on, Kelly, don't make that face. I saw his film. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, not, I'm going to make convincing. the same face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that's the headline at globalnews.ca. It, it was like a giant snake. Kelowna man captures possible video of Ogo Pogo. Who knows what he saw? Um, but I guess it does lead to the question, do you believe in these things like right. the Bigfoots and the Sasquatches and the Yeti? I have a Yeti cup, which keeps my beverages cold. But <laughs> uh, the, as far as an actual Yeti is concerned. In the lake, I feel... That's, you know, Loch Ness Monster, Ogopogo. I think that's a possibility because you just don't know what's down there. So that's why it makes more sense to me that in the depths of those waters, there could be this giant snake. Okanagan Lake is up to 254 feet deep. In fact, it's the average depth of Okanagan Lake. And when they built the first bridge, they've replaced the bridge across the lake at Kelowna now. But when they built the first one, they had underwater welders that would quit and they wouldn't say why, they would just quit. And a lot of it was because you were working in the dark, and they said that there are lots of things bumping into them, and they just couldn't hack it. There were logs. Logs. <laughs> logs float at the top of the water, Kelly. Well, and I'm watching this video right logs. now, and there is something that definitely surfaces and then descends back beneath the water. But you, there's not a clear look, and his camera's shaky, so you don't really know. But why is the camera always shaky? Yeah, because you'd be, you'd be shaky, too, if you saw that. But he's life. on the shore. He's not on the boat. Well, because he's oh. using his cell phone, and he's he's had to zoom in on it. Yeah. So once you zoom in on your cell phone, it's already shaky to begin with, and then when it zooms in, it gets even shakier. And grainier. Yeah. It looked just as much a wave to me as it looked like a lot. Oh no, snake. there's something in the water. Whether or not okay. okay, I'm not saying it's an, I'm not saying it's the Ogopogo, but there's something there. Maybe a log with a with a wave behind it got washed in, but there's definitely something there. Yeah, it's hard not to when you 
with all of the sightings of all, anything like this, whether it's a, a, a monster or a ghost, I don't know. I'd, I, I'd like to believe that there is at least something weird out there. Absolutely. I mean, you can you know, like be like Kelly and talk yourself into like, well, obviously it's fake or whatever, but why ruin I'm the fun? Why ruin the fun? <laughs> it, it could be out there. It's a mystery that's never been solved. It is weird that... You'd never see, especially like a Bigfoot or a Yeti. Yeah. But but then again, if like if there's Sasquatch in North America and Yeti in the Himalayas, like how do those, if those, if that's fake, how does that spread across it, the world Is that like the that difference? Is Yeti's, yeah. Yeti's a different yeah. side of the yeah, world? Yeah, Bonneville Snowman. Okay. But it's the same idea, Sasquatch yeah, and yeah. Yeti? Right. And so when you think about all the yet to be discovered species on the planet, like when they go in the depths of the ocean, we're still finding things that we'd never seen before. So why is it so unimaginable? The Meg. The Meg is down there, Greg. (laughs) Shush. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me because I won't go in the water anyway. But like I said, the last time we were at Lake Winnipeg, I'm like, unless somebody can guarantee me there is no monster-like creature living in Lake Winnipeg, I'm on the sand. Greg, it's okay to dip your toe in the water. It's even fine to go up to your knees. Mm, That's where the sharks and all those animals like to feed in the shadows. I don't want to derail this conversation, but you won't go in a lake? Yeah, I don't go in fresh water. I don't go in open water. He won't even go into his bathtub. He has to have a shower. No. So you just don't go in water? What about a rainforest? Open water. No. What's closed water? A swimming pool with (laughs) chemicals and chlorine in it. No. Like if you can see all the way around it. No. A hot tub? Could be leeches in there. What if if a baby... hot tub, yes. What if like a baby alligator comes up through the filter in the pool? Can that happen? (laughs) In Manitoba, I don't think so. Okay, well, some some kind of like a snake. I don't don't go to Florida. (laughs) Can a a snake or some some other sort of creature come in? That's true. Thanks, guys. That's great. (laughs) Thanks. Oh, he's going to be unclean for days now. There'll be no baths. Watching himself in the rain. And that's you know, part of the cruise is people get to see you swim in the ocean. You know that. There's no swimming in the Adriatic Sea, but none, 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 none. The Wren. Monster Category 4 hurricane barreling towards the Carolinas this morning. Yeah, the National Weather Service believes Hurricane Florence could make landfall either late tomorrow, Thursday, or early Friday. It will bring with it those storm surges, winds upwards of 200 kilometers per hour, and of course, widespread flooding. Reggie Cicchini is in Wilmington, North Carolina, and joins us by the phone now. How are you doing, Reggie? Hey, good morning. It's uh, it's so far it's calm before the storm down here. I hear a little bit of wind in the background. How are people feeling? I know they're they're urging um, more than one million to get out, and it might be too late if you haven't already. What's sort of the mood amongst res- residents there? You know what? The people that we ran into last night were the people who are planning to stick it out, saying, look, we were we were here during Hurricane Hugo. We were here during Hurricane Fran. We know how to get through our hurricane. However, this could be a hurricane that's not like one that's been seen before. This is a potential category four storm that's likely to hit the coast. So the people who are planning to ride it out, they really need to be careful. Downtown, a lot of boarded up businesses already and a lot of signs on windows simply saying go elsewhere. Reggie, for those that have never been to Wilmington and in that part of North Carolina where you are right now, can you describe what that part of the United States is like? 
Uh, so it's really low-lying area right now. The Wilmington right now is on a it's on a part of the land called Cape Fear. So there's a big river that kind of pushes upstream. That's causing of cause for some of the problems right now. Once the storm kind of makes its way on coast, all of that water is going to get pushed up into the rivers and streams, and then that is what's going to start to give a storm surge into the inland parts of North Carolina. So this is a it's, it's a storm system that's likely going to be a statewide storm system, which is why officials are saying, look, if you're still here, you have time to leave. The highways are still open. Reggie, you described this in, we just heard it in Global News at 7.30 with Jeff Braun uh, in your piece where you said this is a storm, going to be a storm of historic proportions. What separates this from previous storms? Well, first of all, this is a Category 4 storm. Category 3 storms are what hit back in 1996 and 1989 with Florence and Hugo. Category 4 is going to give them something different to deal with, where storm surges could reach upwards of 20 feet. Three feet of a storm surge will move a car, 20 feet will top a house. That's one of the things they're worried about. They're also worried about uh, infrastructure when it comes to winds. When you're talking about a, a wind gust or a sustained wind of 230 kilometers an hour with gusts well in excess of that, there is the risk for anything that's kind of higher up than tree level to to come down. So this is something that people need to be aware of. Also the fact that power is likely going to be out for weeks once it does happen. Is there any sense, you know, in the, in the people who choose to stay and understanding that they've been through it before, are they hearing the message when it comes across from officials saying this won't be like the things you've experienced before? This could be far, far worse. What's the mentality where that doesn't sink in and someone says, you know what, I think I can ride this out anyway? There are just some people who want to be here. They want to be able to make sure that their investment stays sound, or at least that they can take care of their investment as best that they can. The thing is, in North Carolina, it's only one of three states that will actually uh, fine you with a misdemeanor for not paying attention to an evacuation warning. A mandatory evacuation warning is in place for all of the southeastern parts of North Carolina right out towards the Outer Banks. So these people not only are risking their lives, they're also risking a possible penalty. The thing is, is that emergency personnel are only going to do so much before the storm starts to arrive. So once these people are in their homes and they're not going anywhere, nobody will be there to go and pick them up afterwards. Here's the headline from another global story from the Associated Press, Reggie. I don't know how much you've been following this part of it. Hurricane Florence could flood manure pits and industrial sites, creating witch's brew of waste. Uh, North Carolina, huge hog industry and also has uh, a lot of industrial waste sites. Absolutely. And that's one of the big concerns right now. So there are a lot of those hog farms right now. There's a lot of chemical plants. There's a lot of uh, coal and ash plants right now that are trying to deal with the fact that they have open areas that are likely going to either be flooded over or have strong winds blow it around. So the thing is that uh, industrial crews, they're trying to deal with that while also trying to prepare their buildings for any damage that could come. So this is a, a storm system that's not only going to have an, like a weather impact, it's going to have an environmental impact from everything that gets washed around. Just seeing the headline right now on CNN, a forecaster calling it the storm of a lifetime for the Carolinas. When is this thing expected to hit? So the, the models keep changing. We're looking somewhere between Friday afternoon and Friday, or I guess early Saturday morning, uh, when the, the the brunt of the storm is going to come on shore. It's likely going to be a Category 4. There are some of the European models that are saying it may be Category 3 when it gets close to the coast of North Carolina. It then could start to shift southward and stay over the water, which will just inundate parts of North and South Carolina with storm surges, slow the system down, and then continuously dump rain for days. Yeah, sort of a, a weird prognostication model showing it 
lingering and hanging around, not moving inland as we're often accustomed to seeing, right, Reggie? Uh, often those Gulf of Mexico hurricanes, they'll come over land and they'll kind of make a, a natural trajectory, not necessarily predictable, but one that has it continuing to move. This has the potential to, to linger and hang around uh, on the coast for uh, some time. Yeah, so what we're hearing is there's a high-pressure system over Bermuda. There's a high-pressure system over the Great Lakes right now. It's kind of pushing southwards, and what it's doing is it's not allowing for the storm system to make its way over land and bring itself up. So this storm system, when it kind of hovers off the coast, it stalls off the Carolinas, the outer bands of it are going to stretch for hundreds of miles outside of that. So it's not just a Carolina storm. You're now looking at a potential for flooding rains into parts of Tennessee, through parts of Kentucky, in through the Virginias, and it could extend all the way up into Washington, D.C. States of emergency have been declared up and down the East Coast. I saw some of the video from your colleague posted yesterday as you guys made your way down there. You know, it must be sort of an eerie feeling, Reggie, all the cars leaving. There's thousands upon thousands of cars heading the other way, and you guys are driving into the eye of it. Even though there are people sticking around, it must be fairly quiet in some some cases where you are. For the most part, it is. There's the odd person walking around the boardwalk right now, but otherwise it's just kind of like satellite trucks from networks. As far as the eye can see, that's what we saw on the highways coming in yesterday. The flip side, we're all traffic trying to leave the area. North Carolina, despite the fact that it's under mandatory evacuation, hasn't done any counterflow lanes. In South Carolina, most of the highways into and out of Myrtle Beach and Charleston, they've all been turned into outbound traffic only, not allowing anybody to actually get into the cities. Reggie Giacchini joining us live from Wilmington, North Carolina. Thank you very much for the time, Reggie. Hey, thank you. I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, and Kelly Moore is joining us this morning to, as we remember Ab McDonald. Yeah, yesterday they had the celebration of life uh, for Abby uh, over just at uh, Canada's Polo Park in the Ambassador Room. And I think, as I tweeted out, it was a testament to Ab as a man, as a friend, and as a teammate that that facility was absolutely packed. Uh, I got there about 15 minutes before the uh, celebration started, and I was way over in the far right-hand seats. Uh, uh, There weren't many empty chairs over there by the time the service got going. And And it was just done beautifully like the man himself, Scott Oak. Uh, of Hockey Night in Canada was the master of ceremonies and did what Scott Oak does, uh, hits it out of the park. Uh, Some great speeches by Ted Foreman, who uh, knew Ab for 65 years. They played uh, in St. Boniface together in the juniors. Uh, Jordy Douglas, my old running partner, uh, uh, also delivered a very heartfelt speech. Uh, Talked about a time when they were coming home from Kenora. And they're on the. Uh, they had a school bus uh, when they were uh, playing the uh, Jets uh, alumni games, and it, you know there were a few pops and, and that sort of thing that had been consumed before the trip home. So uh, nature called, and uh, the bus pulled over. And <laughs> there, you know, Ab was so popular, and Jordy was saying, you know, I knew a lot of people knew Ab. But all of a sudden, we're on the highway, and these cars are stopping, and Ab's sitting there <laughs> waving at him. And he goes, who doesn't know Ab? And then they realized uh, George Smith, the bus driver, had the flashers going, so the, the cars were stopping so that they didn't go by the bus. <laughs> but just great, great stories. Uh, Jimmy Benzelock, and I know a lot of us remember Benny from uh, him working here. Uh, nobody has a better time than, uh, than Jimmy. And uh, he sang the last verse of uh, the, the good old hockey game to end 
the celebration, and I couldn't think of an absolute better way to end it than than how it did. Well, and I think a, a lot of people uh, may not be old enough to appreciate what an incredible talent on the ice Ab McDonald was. Yeah. For a lot of people, he was the the face of the. Winnipeg Jet alumni, and he was so active in the community, oh. never turned down a request to do anything for anybody. He was so giving of his time. Just something extraordinary about Ab McDonald and Pat and, and how generous they were on that front, Kel. Absolutely. And and there was a great photographic display near the end of the celebration. Uh, you know, when it chronicled Ab growing up, Ab with his family, Ab as a hockey player, uh, you know, and, and so you got uh, some sneak peeks inside uh, of the man's life and the one thing that came through uh, was his absolute love and adoration for his family that that was so clearly defined and uh, some of his grandkids spoke up I had no idea that Derek East the outstanding young golfer was Ab's grandson I I found that out yesterday Um, and and Derek uh, talked about how Ab and Pat would never miss any of his sporting uh, competitions. The other grandkids said the same thing, uh, you know. And then uh, uh, his uh, uh, daughters and and one son uh, came up to the dais as well, and and also spoke about their dad. Uh, but it it, it was uh, uh, an eye opener into how. To be a man. And, and you know, the, the kids were such a critical part in Ab's hockey career because as word would get around the NHL that Pat was pregnant because she was pregnant when <laughs> when the, the Blackhawks won the, the Stanley Cup and, and uh, Ab won the, scored the, 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 the cup cup goal. clinching goal. And so word got out that, oh, Pat's pregnant. We might want to trade for Ab at the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, his youngest daughter, Christina, Pat went into labor with her the night that he scored the first ever goal in Jets franchise right. history in the WHA in, in New York. So maybe there's something to that, GMAC. A lot of people wanted to go yesterday, I know, yeah. because of, he's a legend in the hockey world, but standing room only, hundreds of people there. I think there's something just about, as you said, who he was as a man. He, yeah. he made you feel whenever you met him that he genuinely cared. And he didn't well, just you feel must like have met him a few times a few growing times, up in Minnesota. A few so, yeah. times I've met him over the years, uh, you know, either privately or, or for work. Um, and he didn't just make you feel that way. I think he just did care. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just the difference when you talk about uh, what can we learn. And then the great thing about going to a celebration of life or a funeral is, is there something to be learned from this? And maybe that's the lesson as people left yesterday is uh, there's a job and there's a career and there's things to be proud of always. Right. And, but at the end of the day, it, it's how you behave with your friends and those that are closest to you, your family, that really defines who you are. One th- Among the many things I wish I was more like Ab McDonald was his ability to meet someone. And remember who they were. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, to me, that's an uncanny uh, natural ability to be able to do that because there's lots of people you meet and and you're genuine with them, but you just don't remember their name. And Ab somehow was able to do that. And another thing that I know you want to be able to learn how to do is play the guitar. Yes. And Ab was a very gifted musician as well. My dad shared with me a video sitting around a campfire from just a few years ago, Ab playing his guitar. And uh, uh, music was a big love in uh, Mr. McDonald's life. It was indeed. And they uh, actually had one of his uh, good friends uh, up there uh, playing the guitar and singing a few of Ab's favorite songs. Uh, 
I knew that you know he he was buddies with Jim Cuddy, but I didn't realize uh, that their relationship was as strong as it was. Jim Cuddy, of course, a uh, tremendous frontman for Blue Rodeo, and uh, I guess they met at the Juno Cup in 2005 and and continued on uh, a great relationship. And any time I guess Blue Rodeo has come to Winnipeg, there are always backstage passes, or there were for Ab and Pat uh, to, to take advantage of whenever they wanted. So I'm just amazing. What, yeah. yeah Story after story after story. It was it was two hours of a fantastic love story, but also of a great, great human being. Kelly Moore, thank you very much for joining us as we remember Ab McDonald in yesterday's celebration of life. We want to uh, look at something that's happening tonight in the wake of just a horrific tragedy. Yeah, this will be the first night. The season really opens. The home opener is tonight for the Humboldt Broncos. Of course, it was in April that that terrible crash killed 16 players and staff as they were traveling to a game. There's only two returning players on that team uh, lacing up tonight and then a host of new faces. Of course, uh, in the crowd will be thousands of people. They're expecting standing room only. It will be an extremely emotional evening. And this, is, of course, was a story that we covered extensively and continue to. And Brittany Greenslade with Global Television was sent to Humboldt uh, in the hours right after that crash and is in studio with us. It's so hard to believe, Brittany, that it's been just over five months since this has happened. And now they're trying to sort of move forward tonight with the next season, but honoring the past as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a very difficult night for so many people there. Um, Loren, you mentioned that I was on the road that evening as that crash, or the next morning, actually, uh, after that crash happened. We didn't know what we were getting into. We had no idea how bad it was. We'd been told there was possibly uh, up to 15 people dead, but there was no numbers at that point. We hit the road about 5.30 Saturday morning, um, and the the calls start coming in. You start seeing the tweets. You start getting confirmation of numbers and just how bad that crash was, and I don't think any of us could have imagined what we were really in for when we rolled into Humboldt that afternoon, and uh, our first stop was the arena, was Elgar-Peterson Arena, there was already a massive memorial there. Um, there was no dry eyes in there. Um, and I think for me, I was reflecting on this last night because you and I talked about this and coming on and talking about it. And it still brings me to tears every time I watch coverage of it now, every time I reach out to some of those families who I'm still in touch with, um, a couple of them, anytime I hear that name or see a tweet, um, I'm in tears. Uh, it's it's hard now talking about it. Um, it's obviously hardest for the families, but I don't think people realize how attached you become to some of these stories. Um, I know you were one of the people when I came back after that week there that said, turn it off. Like I couldn't tear myself away because you just wanted to know more. You wanted to, you know, know how those families were doing a week later, a month later, now five and a half months later, and it, it doesn't get easier. You speak to the feeling of a nation, I think, whether you covered it, whether you knew the family, whether you're a hockey mom or dad, whether you've put your kids on a bus. There was all sorts of, um, everyone felt connected to it in some way. We've all traveled rural highways and thought about what if that was me or my child, and that community has just opened their arms to the world, really, and said, hey, thank you for what you've done in helping us, but 
continue to help us so we can heal. Oh, Brittany, you told so many incredible stories, powerful stories, because the healing begins as the mourning begins mm-hmm. as well. They, they, they happen at the same time. And the powerful stories uh, about survival and giving in, in death are things that I'll carry with me. I have a distinct impression and feeling that this story and covering it has changed your life forever. Is that an overstatement? Not at all. Um, I don't think anybody that stepped foot in Humboldt in those days after can say that they weren't changed by the stories that they were hearing the stories that we were telling, the the love that you still felt in that community. We talk a lot about um, the players and the people that were killed and their families, but we often forget that so many of these kids aren't from Humboldt. They lived in, with billets. Um, they had billet kids. Uh, these became part of their family. I know for one billet, she had three of these boys. Two of them died in the crash. And she has two little girls. Those were... They're big brothers. Just and so everybody uh, knows, uh, I was on the same page. What's a billet? Because that's something I didn't know even existed before this story. Yeah, so we know that if you're coming to one of these communities, families from those communities will actually house these kids. They feed them. They take you in. You know, you're a 17-year-old kid coming to Humboldt to play for the Broncos. Uh, you end up living with a family there. They're not out on their own. They're too young to, you know, be put up in an apartment or something. So uh, they have a family there that takes care of them, that really makes them one of their own. So as, as you can look at Renee, who is the mom in this case, she had three of those boys. And uh, for her, that third one, she actually thought all three were killed. Uh, the third was one of the the young men that actually had been switched the identities. And so she thought he'd been killed. I remember her, she was one of the mothers who wrote, um, or billets rather, who wrote, I lost two sons today. And they weren't her biological children, but because of that nature of the relationship of being a billet and, and they live in your home and, and you feed them and yell at them to get to practice <laughs> and get to bed and all the rest. I mean, the community, the hockey community very much functions throughout rural Canada mm-hmm. and in those small towns by a community taking care of those children, which I think is partly why it struck so many deeply. Well, there's so many surrogate relationships, right? Coaches become parents, Mm -hmm. parents become friends, uh, parents of other kids become mentors. There are so many interpersonal relationships when it comes to a small town that that supports really the Humboldt Broncos, as you know, are a big time operation in a small town. Mm -hmm. They do things first class. They've always been known for that, uh, of being one of the premier teams in the SJHL and how they did things I want to bring one name to the forefront, not for any other reason, but because his story just really resonates with me and the whole move, this almost national phenomenon towards pledging your organs in your own passing, Logan Boulay. Um, Logan is a name that I don't think anybody's ever going to forget. We heard from his parents in the coming days saying that he signed that donor card as soon as he was able to, um, that he made his wishes to them very much known. Um, and you're, you're speaking of a teenager. We have a lot of adults that have never had that conversation with their loved ones. And that was very important to him. And his parents said he was always their hero, but now he was going to be so many other people's hero, whether it was in life or in death. And the amount of lives that he saved and that push for people to sign up, we had 
thousands of people right after that then signed up and pledged to be a donor. And I think that legacy alone for his family is something that has really helped them move forward. The bus driver has been charged. It's still working its way through the courts. In the meantime, we've had mothers come out and say, you know, one mother just this week writing to say that she forgives that driver. Uh, She hopes for justice in whatever form that that comes in, but also change. So we talked about the legacy in terms of organ donation. The idea now that starting in 2020, you have to have seatbelts on these buses. There's all sorts of things to learn from this crash. For you, what will it be? I think just how open and loving people can be in the face of such tragedy. Um, We went into that community, and I think you couldn't help but be overwhelmed if you were somebody that lived in that community of 6,000. There was local media, there was national media, there was international media. Like, we took over that town. Um, Hundreds of people that just descended on there, people that came in for those funerals, that came in uh, for that wake at the Elgar-Peterson Arena, that vigil. Um, And people were just so loving. And I think you look at a situation like that, that you could retreat, you could not want to speak to anybody. Um, I can tell you that if that was me, I probably wouldn't want to talk to the media. I'd tell you to go away. Uh, You want to grieve in peace. That was not what we got from these people. Uh, they were they were open. Uh, I told you this story before of sitting there with one of the the volunteers who'd been at those games every night, and he just looked at me at one point and said, "Can I hug you?" And we both just broke down in tears. That's what you got in Humboldt, and I don't think it's any different today than it it was five and a half months ago. Definitely a changed community. There's no doubt about that. Um, but just the amount of love that comes from that, and I think how you handle a story. Uh, This was the biggest story that I've ever covered in my career thus far, probably one of the biggest that I will ever cover. I don't think any of us want to have to cover these stories, Um, but the takeaway of just how you can speak to people and really try to be compassionate and tell their stories with as much grace as you can and uh, the outpouring of love and and just taking the time to listen to people, even if they're not going to be an interview, if they don't want to talk to you on camera, if they don't want to talk to you on the radio, To take those five minutes and have a conversation with them regardless is something I will hold on to. The Humboldt Broncos host Nipawin in their Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League season opener tonight. It's going to be a packed house, standing room open only. We were hearing yesterday that they're limiting the number of media who will be allowed to go in just because they don't have room because that's how many people want to show up and support this young team. And of course, we just want to make a correction there. It's the truck driver that was charged in this case, not the bus driver for the Humboldt Broncos. And uh, it's easy to misspeak when you're in the middle of a of an emotional conversation like this one. Uh, Brittany, just before we let you go, I just want to thank you for the coverage that you delivered on this story. It, it brought it home. It was already a difficult story. Uh, your storytelling was an absolute gift to us. Thank you. Thank you.
The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.